We're, we're just in the middle of a series that God just put on our hearts at the beginning of the year, talking about devotion, being devoted. And we're now in our seventh week. And the original plan was we'd do six weeks, but it just seems like God is so on this series that we're going to do a lot more than six. So we're just starting our seventh week. And uh, in the first week of the Devoted series, we looked at one of the key things that undermines our devotion to God, which is disappointment. We looked at the issue of disappointment. And disappointment, as we saw, very often comes back to God. Because ultimately, whether we realize it or not, we tend to blame God for the bad bad things that happen in life. Even if you're not a believer, have you noticed how many people will blame God uh, for the things that go wrong? Because after all, the logic is, well, he's in charge, so surely he could have stopped this. Or surely he could have warned us about it in some way. So we blame God. And so we need to deal with our disappointment if we're not to fall away as so many have done over the years. And this week, I want to follow on from Paul Norris' superb talk last week uh, when he talked about being devoted to the fellowship, devoted to one another. And I want to look at something that can undermine our fellowship. I want to look at the theme today of unforgiveness. Um, And whereas disappointment usually comes back to God, unforgiveness is usually about people. It's about relationships. It's about people that have hurt us or done us wrong. And this can happen anywhere. It can happen in families. It can happen in schools with neighbors, with workplaces. Wherever there are people, there's a risk of wrong being done to us, and there will always be a need for forgiveness in order to maintain good relationships with people, even in the church. Even in the church. I mean, this can be really hard to accept when, you know, surely other Christians should know better, but it's a sad fact that nonetheless that people will hurt one another in church, as some people here can tell you. And I don't know why it shocks us so much, but when it happens, it's somehow even more painful. And I know because I've been hurt by church. I've been hurt by other leaders. I've been hurt by those I lead. And it really hurts, doesn't it? Especially when you've been vulnerable with others, especially when you've opened up your life, where you've, you've shared things with people, some even friends from many years ago. I, I think, though, that this isn't an unfamiliar subject to Jesus. The idea of betrayal, I often think about what it must have been like for Jesus to have been betrayed by one of his closest friends, Judas. And, and the very fact that it takes somebody so close to you to betray you with a kiss. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, how close Judas had to come to Jesus in order to betray him. And these things can be very disillusioning and not only affect our lives with one another, but with God too. There are many people around who've been hurt by church, get mad at God and reject them both. As I often say to people, uh, when they look to join our church, when they look to join Jubilee here, I said, I can only guarantee you two things. Now, you can all wave madly when you say, yeah, I've heard this. Because I say it to everybody, really, that comes. First thing is, I will mess up. That's the first thing I guarantee. I'll mess up. 
I'll probably upset you and let you down at some point. And I say that on behalf of the leadership team. There you go. There's the first guarantee of joining Jubilee. But here's the second one. When this happens, I should say if probably, but when this happens... I will do my best. We will do our best to sort things out with you and make things right. So that's the deal. If you're happy with that, come and join Jubilee. It's just based on the fact that this stuff happens. It just happens. We mess up because we're people, we're human and all the rest. And so I think it's really important that we talk about some of these things because churches are all about relationships and Jubilee is no exception. If we're going to be devoted to one another, we're going to need to learn how to clear up our messes and do all that we can to protect and maintain good relationships. So that's what I want to do today. Is that okay? Is that going to fit with you? I have an amen. I'm going to keep going on about this. Last week we said about the power of agreement. I want to preach with you, not at you. So join in and I want to know if you're in agreement with me because it helps me It's not just an insecure thing. I think there's a spiritual dynamic in it that agreement is powerful and it brings heaven to earth. Amen? Amen. Amen. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to maintain and protect good relationships? Well, it starts with how highly we view the church because this determines our view of the church will determine the value that we place on relationships that we have within the church. We have to have a high view of the church and this is the motivation that Paul had when he confronted the Corinthians over the poor relationships in the church at Corinth you've got to read the horror story of the Corinthian church it's not a church you want to join there are so many problems there and so he reminds them right at the beginning of the book in 1 Corinthians 3 of the supreme significance of the church and this is what he says he says don't you know That you yourselves, the church, are God's temple and that God's spirit lives amongst you. And if anyone destroys God's temple, that God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are God's temple. Look at each other. Look around the room and say to one another, you are God's temple. You are part of the dwelling place of God because that's what the church is. That's what the church is. So Paul, he appeals to the bigger picture of the church than any of the disputes or arguments that the Corinthians are engaged in. He warns them of the danger of taking one another for granted. He wants them to understand the reality of what they're doing. And rather darkly, he says, do you know, if you mess with the church, you mess with God. I don't know, if that doesn't put the fear of God into you, I don't know what does. You mess with the church, you mess with God. And it's a serious warning for all of us. You know, when I hear of difficulties in churches and how people conduct themselves within those difficulties, I genuinely fear for them. And so often I oversee churches and I have to resist the temptation to go in and shake some people and say, don't you know what you're messing with? Get over your pettiness. It's ridiculous. Get the bigger picture. Anyway, I felt better saying that. (laughs) Can I have an amen? (laughs) And I've got to say that fearing God and honouring the body of Christ have been two of my greatest motivators in having no part in division, in having no part in a critical spirit. 
and in guarding my relationships with others in the church. This is God's church. It's his. Jesus says, I will build my church and hell's not going to resist it. It's his church, his dwelling place. We are his holy people. So how dare we despise and dishonor the people of God? And this is the foundational point for good relationships. How highly do we view the church? You know, when we talk about the church, are you honoring of us? You know, about our leaders, are you generous in your attitude to them? Or with what we should or shouldn't be doing, are you respectful and loving? You might be right. All of your views might be completely right, but do you bring those views in a respectful and loving way? Does the fear of God and honoring his body govern your thinking? And just notice this, that when I talk about the church, I don't say it. You see, people often will talk about the church as it. It's not it, it's us. We are the church. We are the people of God. And I've noticed how much easier it is to criticize something that we depersonalize. It's so much easier because when people come and say, this is what the church should be doing, they're just talking about me, really. Or they're talking about you. They're not talking about me, the person that brings the problem. It's easier to criticize something that we depersonalize, but the church is not an institution. It's a gathering of people. And when you criticize the church, you criticize us. Which includes you, by the way. (laughs) So having a high view of the church, loving the body of Christ, is the motivation we need for protecting and maintaining good relationships within the church. It's, It's foundational. So how are we doing with this? How are we doing with this? How are you doing with that? How are you seeing and viewing the church at this time? But what about when things go wrong? Or we are wronged. It's great having this big view of the church, but sometimes stuff just goes wrong, doesn't it? Sometimes we do fall out with people, we have difficulties. I said earlier, it's guaranteed, actually, that mistakes will be made, people will get hurt or upset. So how do we deal with this? How do we resolve things? Well, this is where forgiveness comes in. And it starts with each of us, firstly, dealing with our own mess. Dealing with our own mess. Because often, so often, in fact, when we get hurt or offended by what others do, it's not always clear in the moment why we respond in the way that we do. And so before we vent, we need to ask ourselves some questions. Why did I just react like that? What was going on there? That conversation that went wrong, why did it go wrong? Sometimes it's quite simply that we're too easily offended. (laughs) Or that we've responded immaturely. And quite frankly, sometimes we just need to suck it up when things go wrong. I'm serious. You know, somebody came to see me a few years ago and said, I've got a big problem with you. You've really upset me. I said, really? No, me? Surely not. (laughs) I said, yeah, yeah. You walked through the church building and you didn't acknowledge me. You didn't look at me. I was waving at you, and you just ignored me. And and it really upset me, that did. I said, I genuinely have no recollection of that. I'm really sorry. I said, hold on a minute. Which side were you on when I walked down the hall? And they said, oh, I was on that side. I said, well, this is an explanation. I'm blind on this side. I don't actually see out of that side. But in any event, 
for goodness sake, I mean, I just didn't acknowledge you. What's the problem there? (laughs) Sometimes we just need to grow up, just need to mature in who we are and get over ourselves. And other times, is that okay to say that? Are you upset with me now? I'm sorry. You needed to hear that. (laughs) But other times, it's not actually the other person's fault that we're upset at all. They just happen to be the one that's in front of us at the time that we get upset and actually relates back to a similar situation in which we were hurt before and so we overreact. (laughs) We overreact. Because, you see, the thing is, who knows that none of us are perfect and that we're all works in progress? Who knows that? I mean, I look in the mirror and say that every day. Rob, you are a work in progress. Getting better all the time. <laughs> but, you know, we're works in progress and we're all working through our own stuff. We need to deal with our own hearts first before we put the blame onto someone else. And especially if the pain that we're feeling is not equal to the offence. Sometimes we just overreact. As Jesus says, why is it you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank that's in your own head? Take the speck, the plank out of your head and then you'll be able to help your brother get the speck out of his eye. You know, some of us, we need to remove some planks. Take responsibility for our own hearts in relationships and the pain from the past and the offences that we've not dealt with and we carry around with us from church to church. And we need to exercise forgiveness and receive healing. A few years ago, more years than I would care to admit, I started working with my good friend Jonathan Bell at Church Central And I had a few of those moments with him. I've already confessed some of this in a previous talk, and I've talked to him about it, and he's okay with it. But (laughs) I had a few moments with him, and and it's because I I came to realize that the previous leader I'd worked with had uh, had been very heavy-handed with me and, and had an authoritarian leadership style, which is definitely not Jonathan's style. If you know him... He's the gentlest, most lovely guy you'd ever meet. But those previous experiences gave me a problem with authority. And and they made me very afraid to be myself just in case I made mistakes that I might get punished for. Because that was the style of the previous leadership I'd been involved with. And I needed a lot of coaxing to come out of my shell and just be me. And it also made me very resistant to being led. And I found myself being shutting down around leaders and feeling awkward because, you know, I had this plank in my head. But I didn't realize it. And it took me quite a lot of time to trust again. It took me some time, lots of awkward conversations, which suddenly became easier when I realized that I had a plank in my head. And that what was happening is I was transferring the pain of that plank onto my friend Jonathan. And I hadn't actually dealt with stuff that had been there for many years. So as I began to realize this, I I developed some safety questions to protect my own responses in different situations. So I'd say things like, look, I know I might be sounding a bit paranoid 
right now, but did you really mean what I thought you said, or can you help me to hear it differently? Because the plank was still not fully removed and the healing hadn't come. Or the other question is, and this is the one for me, I mean, did I read your expression right? You know, are you like that? That look, the look they gave me, I'm sure they thought something. Did I read that expression right? See, we need to deal with our own mess before we're confronted in others. And when we've done that, we're safe to speak to our friend about the offence. And we can take some steps towards restoring good relationships. Jesus anticipated this problem. It's amazing, isn't it? He recognised that we were going to have problems with one another in the church. And uh, he realised that sometimes relationally, Uh, There are going to be some issues we need to sort out. So rather helpfully in Matthew 18, which I'm going to keep quoting from now for the rest of the talk, he gave us a three-step process to follow. And we encourage people to adopt these steps when encountering problems here in the church. It's from Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. And let me just read that passage to you, and then I'm going to give you a brief explanation of the steps Jesus gives us. So here it is. If your brother or sister sins against you, Go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, well, treat them as you would an unbeliever, or a tax collector, a banker, maybe. So three steps here that Jesus gives them. First of all, go and tell them. Don't go and tell everybody else. Don't go and gossip about them. Don't malign their character. By all means, speak to a trusted friend who can hold you to account or advise you about it. But don't make more mess in the church that others are going to have to clear up. (coughs) Go and tell them. And go and tell them, but be careful how you do this. Why? Because you may well have got the wrong end of the stick. So be humble. Expect the best of them. You know, there are very few people who deliberately go out to hurt people and most will be horrified that, you've, that they've hurt you with what they've said or done. But if the response from them isn't good and there's no acknowledgement of, of your pain or the wrong that's been done to you, Jesus says take it to step two. So step two is go and tell them again. But take a witness with you. So don't give up on the situation just because you haven't been able to resolve it. Involve somebody else in the problem. Go and explain what's happened to a trusted friend and then listen to what your friend says, first of all. Because they might say, no, Rob, you were miles off. You got completely the wrong end of the stick on that one. They were right to say that to you. Get over yourself. Sometimes we need that from a friend. So if, that's, if that happens, just let it go and move on. Maybe you need to go and apologise to the other person. But otherwise, take your friend with you to speak to the person who hurt you. Not to gang up on them, but as a witness, lending support to both of you in resolving the situation. And your motivation must be for repentance and restoration of relationship, not to just have a go at somebody and make them feel bad. If they still won't hear you, Jesus says, step three, tell it to the church. And this is a really serious final step. It would involve leaders and church discipline. And I don't think we should hardly ever need to get to that, that, that place. 
But this is just how seriously Jesus views sin in the church, the sin of uh, broken relationship. Um, and, and the unity of the body and guarding of relationships. But even at this final step, it's done with the hope that it will lead to repentance, restoration and healing. So Matthew 18 is how we resolve most difficulties that we encounter with one another in the church. But supposing that's not possible. You know, perhaps the person isn't connected to you anymore, that you've parted company in some way, or the relationship has completely broken down. What do you do where there's a complete relationship breakdown with another believer? And sadly, this does happen. And the really sad thing is that there's no guarantee that that relationship at that point will ever be restored, which is really hard to accept. But it doesn't mean you can't forgive. (laughs) And so even in that situation, you will have to deal with unforgiveness and all the pain that goes with it and and accepting that that's going to take you some time to process. Why? Because forgiveness comes in layers. It comes in layers. A few years ago, I had a bit of a revelation. Again, Matthew 18, Peter says to Jesus, he says, Lord, when my brother sins against me, how many times shall I forgive him? That's a good question, isn't it? Um, Shall I forgive him seven times? That seems really generous to me. Uh, And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Seventy times seven, which is a bigger number than you can calculate in your head, unless you're Simon Clay. When I realized uh, in this verse was that forgiveness we give isn't just about a series of offenses. You know, this person keeps messing up around you. Actually, what I've realized is that this could be about one offense that keeps coming back to haunt us. You know, if this is the case, then it means every remembrance of that sin I choose to forgive. Upon every consequence of that sin that I live with day to day, I forgive again. It means even when I think about that person, or meet someone who reminds me of them, anyone? I forgive again. I decide to forgive again. I forgive 70 times 7, or perhaps we would say 24-7. And with each decision to forgive, with each acknowledgement of the pain that they've caused and the consequences that I now live with, but still choose to forgive, then the freedom comes a little stronger and the healing goes a little deeper. But it all starts with that decision to forgive. You'll know that as a church, we've had many people who've come to us, who've been hurt in various places. And a few years ago, a lady came to see me just after they'd arrived, and she was really determined. She said, right, I've made a list, and I'm determined to deal with all of these hurts, and I'm going to tick them off as I go, and I just want you to witness it for me. Um, I don't think it works like that. No, 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 I don't want this to stop me going forward, so can we get started? And I just had to say, you can't deal with pain in such an organized way. (laughs) It, 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 It isn't just one decision, it's a series of decisions and convictions to get things sorted out in our lives. But, you know, I love the heart behind it. I love what she said. She was determined to start with forgiveness.
And then the rest would be worked out from there in the heart. I'm glad to say she made amazing progress, a rigorousness to dealing with forgiveness and pain. But I have to say, at the same time, that real forgiveness isn't easy. It isn't easy. Anyone who thinks forgiveness is easy has never had to do it, in my view. You've never really been hurt. (laughs) Um, It's really hard to do well. But then whoever said forgiveness was easy? I mean, think about how much it cost Jesus to forgive us. He suffered beyond anything we could ever imagine. He laid down his life and died a horrible death. Forgiveness is always costly and involves sacrifice. But there is that initial decision to forgive because it's the right thing to do, but then it has to be worked through. And there's no time to look at this in detail, but Jesus shows us in the parable of the unmerciful servant, which I would encourage you to read. It's again Matthew 18, 21 to 35. And he talks about the consequences of not dealing with forgiveness thoroughly. He says forgiveness needs to be done from the heart which is about something much deeper than the initial decision to forgive. It involves the emotions and a willingness to live with the consequences of what has been done to you. And if we don't do this, there will remain in our hearts a vulnerability, a sensitivity, an ongoing sensitivity, and we won't get the healing that we badly need. And Jesus talks of a kind of torment that, that comes on us in that, in that setting of unforgiveness. Well, if you've struggled with unforgiveness, then you'll have experienced some of that already. There's a kind of ongoing pain that you live with, an inability to let go. And so we need to remove the hooks of unforgiveness. I've often described it to people like this. It's like a fishing line with a weighted hook has been cast into your heart and it lodges there. And you feel the pain straight away and you might react and you get angry or you get upset. But then the initial pain passes and the wound kind of heals and you start to think everything's okay, okay, I've dealt with it. Fine, I feel all right now. But actually that's the dangerous part. Because what can happen is it starts to harden And your heart becomes scarred and calloused. But then something else happens because God in his grace won't let you stay like that. Something else happens, a situation that's similar or a person who, the person who hurt you returns into your life and then it pulls and it pulls. And because the fishing line is attached to the hook and it's still attached to that situation or the person who hurt you, it rips It rips your heart again and the wound goes deeper and the heart grows harder. Do you know what I mean? Does that make any sense to you? Is there a hook or two buried in your heart? You know, even as I've been talking, maybe there are situations and people that have come to your mind. You think, ah, that's why. That's why that sensitivity is there. And because of your defences, the defences that we construct to protect ourselves in the future, we've only felt the pain but not received the healing. And there's some hooks that need removing for healing to come into the wounds. Because you see, forgiveness is... it's, It's shocking. It's letting them off. 
It's letting others off the hook. They get away with it. That's appalling. They get away with it. I find that shocking. That's what the word literally means, to forgive. It means let go, let them off, let them get away with it. You don't get the revenge that you long for. You might pray all kinds of things on them. Teach them, God. Make everything go wrong for them. That'll show them that I was right and they were wrong. Can I have an amen there? (laughs) I mean, haven't you read the Psalms, for goodness sake? You're shocked with what I'm saying, but haven't you read the Psalms? Strike them on the teeth and knock them down. Kill them, God. That's part of the process, guys. It reveals your own heart. But you don't get the revenge when you let them go. It means, to forgive means that you will no longer use that sin against them, even in your thinking. But that hook, the one that's buried in your heart, you know, the fishing line on the hook is so light, they're probably not even aware of it. So revenge doesn't work anyway. They didn't even know. They didn't even know how much they hurt you. But we hold on to these things and we nurse our pain. We meditate on it. We talk about it. Some people even get counselling for it. But they never let go of the hook. And so it just festers. And that festering creates further problems for us. It gets infected. It begins to stink. It makes us ill. And spiritually we become oppressed and depressed. So Paul says in Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give it to him. Don't let it fester. Don't give the enemy a place where he can occupy you or your airspace. Because that is the place of oppression and torment. Why would you want that? Oh, but I'm holding on to it because I'm really mad with them. Really? Who's the one that's getting damaged by this? They're not. They're happy. Everything's going well for them. It's you that's struggling. There's a wonderful line I found this week by Lewis Smedes. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you. It's true. Don't give the enemy a place. Unforgiveness is one of the commonest causes of demonic interference and oppression in my experience. It's a robber of freedom like no other. And very often you're completely unaware of why you're feeling the way you are. (laughs) But that's what it is. So how about you? Have you got some hooks you need to let go of? Some people you need to forgive? Or perhaps you need to forgive yourself. So often I found that people work very well with forgiving everybody else, but they're not so good at forgiving themselves. They don't set themselves free. It's crazy, isn't it? I should have tried harder. If only I'd done better. If only I hadn't done that or reacted that way. If only I hadn't lived there. If only I hadn't married him or married her. If onlys. Let yourself off. Forgive yourself. Don't be the hook 
for your own heart. Let me just say a few things about forgiveness as we come to a close. Some things that have really helped me. The first thing is that forgiveness is not forgetting. I mean, think about it. God cannot forget. He chooses not to use our sins against us, but he doesn't forget. And it's the same for us. Forgiveness, forgiving others, is not about forgetting or even necessarily about restoration of relationship because sometimes that's not possible. But letting others off enables our own healing and releases us from the torment of unforgiveness. Amen? Secondly, forgiveness is not a feeling, but a ruthless and calculated decision that must be made. The feelings that will be needed will come later. Especially if we're to forgive from the heart, we need to process some pain. But forgive, first of all, by faith. You know, God forgives us on the legal basis of Jesus' death, not because he feels like it. I thought that was a really good point, actually. (laughs) Shall I just say it again? God doesn't forgive us just because he feels like it, but on the legal basis of Jesus' death. That's amazing. So trust God to meet your faith as you forgive with healing and freedom as you work through the layers. Forgiveness is not a feeling. And then finally, I've already touched on this, but forgiveness isn't easy. I want to say it again. It really isn't easy. It's very hard to do. Forgiveness is costly. It involves sacrifice and it must be maintained. I just feel like there's somebody here that needs just to be released of the idea that I thought I dealt with all this and coming under condemnation because of it. A situation that happened many years ago. I thought I dealt with this and it's come up again. That's because there's another layer. (laughs) There's another layer of forgiveness and with it another layer of freedom and healing for you. I know God's done this for me just recently. Years and years ago, I thought it was all dealt with. It all came up again. And God just said, I want to I go a bit deeper with you. And there's a freedom that I'm living in now that I didn't have before. And I believe that's for somebody else as well. It's going to help you. It's an incredible relief, actually, to forgive. It's hard to do. And Alice and I have sat with many people and worked through forgiveness. And we do it like this. say, so look, okay. Imagine the person in front of you. Imagine they're looking at you. Looking, look them in the face and speak to them now and tell them how they've made you feel. Tell them what they've done to you. Now choose to forgive them. And that point that we get to, they, they say, this is how you've made me feel. This is what you've done. They work through that. They get it out. And I said, now choose to forgive. When you've got it all out, not when you just think, it's a good idea, I ought to forgive, ought to forgive them, and then move on quickly, so you don't have to process it. No, process it first. Go through it, count the cost, but then that question's going to come. Now will you still forgive, even though, even though you're living with that pain, even though it's affecting you like this, will you still choose to forgive? And the relief, that comes on people and the freedom that comes instantly when they say, yeah, 
And Lord, I forgive them. I'll let it go. And Lord, will you bless them? Will you bless that person? Will you cause them to prosper? And then the flow comes. But getting to that point is a costly, costly decision. And I don't want to underestimate it because forgiveness is powerful and it will set you free. Okay? We want to be devoted to one another. We want to have good relationships amongst us as a church. But that doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. Good relationships are not about perfect relationships, but loving relationships, where forgiveness is readily exercised. I thought that was a good point as well. I just encourage myself, and it helps. Good relationships are not about perfect relationships, but loving relationships where forgiveness is readily exercised. That's the culture that we need to build. Peter says this. Peter, who denied Jesus, remember that. How much did he have to forgive himself? And how did Jesus restore him? Love. So Peter writes this. He says, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of failures. Any failures here? I'm a leader in failure. I'm going to mess up, but it's okay. Because you love me, and I love you too, so that's okay. And God loves us even more. It's unconditional. The Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Making our forgiveness from God conditional on our forgiveness of others. Is anyone you need to forgive? I just want to tell you, um, I haven't asked permission for this, Steve and Simon, but I'm sure it's okay, that we have made such a priority on relationship in our team as elders that we will say, if there's anything that's wrong between us, everything stops. The business stops. We don't do anything until those things are right, even if it's weeks. We'll go to the pub. For weeks, we'll eat together. For weeks, no business will get done because that is the priority. Relationship is more important than business. I want you to know that that's right in the heart of this church. That's how we do it. And I want that to spread. I want that to be your heart too. Relationship's more important than business. If you need to get things right with one another, make that a priority. Don't avoid coming to church because you've fallen out or you're upset. No, it's the opposite. You know, the breaking of bread, Steve's going to speak on that soon. The breaking of bread is around any relationships that need restoring. Do that before you fellowship together. I don't think I can lead you all through forgiveness right now from the front so I've been wondering how to respond how, how to get you to respond to this and I think the only thing that I, we can do right now together is to make an agreement together that this is how we'll live this is how we will do church together that we decide right now before God in the presence of God that we are willing to forgive 
And the Holy Spirit, when he shows you anything, and I, I believe that as we go from here, it might have even happened already today, that there are going to be faces coming in front of your, in your mind that you know I need to go and do some business with God on or some conversations I need to have. But if you agree with me that we're going to live like this, we're going to love each other and we're going to volunteer to forgive even before I'm upset, that we're going to decide that today. Would you just stand with me? And that's how we're going to respond. If you're not part of this church and you represent another church, that's fine too. Do it on their behalf because this is what the body of Christ is about. We're going to live a culture of forgiveness. So Lord, we just stand here before you. We offer ourselves to you. Yeah. Holy Spirit, we say if there's anyone that we need to forgive right now that we're holding back on, then will you show us? Because we don't want to go rooting around inside or in memories. Because that doesn't help us. But Holy Spirit, will you show us? Even now, Lord, will you show us if there's somebody that we need to speak to, if there's somebody we need to let off? And Holy Spirit, I ask you for freedom to come to many. Lord, I pray that hooks would be unhooked as a result of this message. Even those listening on the internet right now, I pray that there would be deliverance, healing and freedom because of these words, because of that picture. Lord, we want to take hooks. We want to take them out of our hearts and give them to you. Say, Lord, I recognize I've had a hook in my heart because of that situation. But Lord, right now I choose to let go of that. Let go of that offense. I give it to you. And Father, I ask you to heal my heart in Jesus' name and set me free. Thank you, Father. Now, Lord, we just release a wave of grace over us now. It's grace to forgive. It's a spirit of grace. We just pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.